Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and this week, uh, Alan's back. We didn't get rid of him. He's he's still here. Our new, our new producer, Alan, is here. Isn't it exciting? Still here. Made the episode last week. People seem to like it. They asked me to come back. Yep. Isn't that great? And also with me is, of course, my co-host, Luke. Say hello, Luke. Hi. Great. All right, let's get into the show. Good, good, uh, good morale, good energy all around, guys. This week, we are talking about kind of like an obscure figure that doesn't get a lot of scrutiny. His name is Elon Musk. And we're talking about the text messages of his that have entered into the public record thanks to his lawsuit with Twitter. We're also talking about the fact that he has still not bought Twitter. And it's unclear if he will buy Twitter. But we're all going to talk about it like it's real until it's not, I suppose. But before we get into all that, hey, Luke, how is the internet this week? At the end of this week, I feel like the I, 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 the word I'm looking for is it's around tired. It's not quite tired. It's just a bit. It's like it's a bit stretched. Like I feel like there's a little bit too much for everyone to cover. Uh, everyone's not 100 percent sure which ground they're on, so they're kind of trying to do too much. And as a result, it feels like we haven't had the big kind of cohesive moment that pulled everyone together. So yeah, I'm going to go with stretched. The internet, but this week has been a bit stretched. I would agree with that. I feel like if the vibe shift happened in June of 2021. We're now so firmly on the other side of the vibe shift that I think people are beginning to realize it. And so our notions of, you know, what's important or what culture is have shifted so dramatically at this point that now we're all kind of like realizing we're in a new internet world. You know what I mean? That could be it. That could be it. Could also just be like it's getting kind of like dark and rainy now. So it just, it just sucks. That's also true. It, that's, that, is, that is, it could also just be that it's fall. I've been listening to a lot of Los Campesinos and uh, my headspace is all dark because of that. Uh, but I want to make your headspace, Luke, just as dark as mine is by showing you this recipe from the New York Times. Have you seen this recipe from the New York Times? <laughs> okay, I want to talk about this. So this is fucking mad. This has gone viral twice in two weeks and I feel like I am losing my fucking mind. <laughs> I don't give a shit about the recipe. Cook a full English breakfast, however the fuck you want, but just have new fucking things to go viral. God, Jesus. Can you, okay. can you please explain to people I've legitimately what not seen this, and before Luke says why he's mad, I would like to say that looking at this photo, I, I want to eat that. I want to eat it. I want to cook it. I might cook it for dinner. It's fucking tonight. fine. It's fucking fine. It's a normal thing to eat. Okay. Okay. The recipe is, the recipe is, the New York Times says, uh, tweets, there's always a night when you want to have breakfast and dinner, and this is how you do it, British style, in a very untraditional cheap pan take on the classic. Which means, basically, for English readers, they've taken a baking tray, they've put the sausages in it, which is, you can cook sausages in an oven, that's fine. Mushrooms in there as well, you can roast mushrooms, also fine. Tomatoes, roasted tomatoes are delicious, also fine. The bread needs to be toasted, really. Like you can't really do the bread in the in the oven. Yeah, no, it's just toast. They've just done that for the, the image. And they do bake the eggs, which I do think is a little bit weird. That is that is the big question mark for me, which is how do you get the egg off? Right. The egg's just gonna be stuck to that baking pan. Right? 
you oil, if you oil the baking pan, it'll be fine. I'm skeptical. I wouldn't. I wouldn't play no, with no, that. No, like, no, like it, the meal. The meal works. You have problems with it, like beans aren't on it although i mean that is actually one thing that genuinely is weird about this which is that they say serve with plenty of butter toast fine and if you like baked beans brackets most authentically straight from a can which is not how you eat beans you you have to warm them up and it does not imply at any point that you should be warming up the beans so why has this gone viral two times in a week <sighs> all right so someone noticed it on twitter and said I can't believe the New York Times has done this. This feeds into a wider beef that the UK has with the New York Times right now, which I think we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. This was around the um, Queen's death time. They did like a uh, bunch yes. of things. And everyone got really mad because they did things like saying this funeral will cost quite a lot of money and mourn the Queen, don't mourn her empire, which, I mean, has a lot of uh, associated things to it, but the UK hasn't had an empire for a very long time. She has not really had an empire. The whole, okay. the whole thing focus, is Focus wrong. on the okay. breakfast food, okay. Luke. Okay, okay. Doing something like this, which feels like it is, quote unquote, against the British way of doing things or against the correct way of doing things is one of the, like the most guaranteed ways to go viral. We cannot stop getting mad about food. Yes. To the extent that we had a ban at one point, like the in your last years when you were living in the UK, you'd meet a new British person and they'd be like, Oh, isn't it crazy that like in America you have cider and it's non-alcoholic and in the UK you have cider and it is alcoholic. Yeah. And you'd be like, yeah, no, I've had this conversation 7,000 times. There's like there's like 20 conversations yeah. British people and American people have and I can't have a single one of them anymore. Although yeah. I still I still do get people tweeting at me about my tweets about how you guys put your washing machines in the kitchen. And like right. that one that I one... do get a lot of joy out of cuz it still riles everybody up, but yeah. But that one launched an entire news cycle. But it's basically yes. <laughs> it's, it's a, a really viral thing you can do is take a normal thing and do it ever so slightly differently. And right. one of the things that is most viral is food because everybody eats food and everyone has opinions about it. So you do something like this and you go, hey, here's a full English breakfast. It's ever so slightly wrong. And everyone just gets fucking mad about it. And then it happened two weeks ago when some when they initially published the recipe and then it happened again when they tweeted the recipe. And just today, I was just looking at this thing, and I was like, this is the same jokes. I, I think the same people are making the same fucking jokes. Like, I'm losing my mind. Like, we've done this cycle so many times that it's just, it's completely meaningless. So my my overarching theory about why British people become so enraged about small tweaks. It's, sorry, it's not just British people. Everyone gets enraged. My about theory food. about why British people have you, become have you, so have you ever, enraged. Have you ever have you ever seen Italians get angry about food? That's a whole thing. Yes. Oh no. Well, also the whole way that the BBC is constantly trolling Italian people by cooking. I think when I first landed in the UK, everyone was mad because the BBC, I think, published a recipe where they said you should put coffee ground. No, Sainsbury's, the supermarket, yeah. published a recipe saying you should put coffee grounds in your in your bolognese sauce. And everyone was mad about it for days. I mean Alan has quite correctly highlighted that there is such a thing as smashed pea guacamole. So everyone gets mad about food. That's that's my counter argument to this being a British thing, because I was working at Mashable when the smashed pea and you were at BuzzFeed, both of you, when the smashed pea guacamole gate hit. And that's the maddest I've ever seen people online was when The New York Times said you could make guacamole out of peas. I mean, you can make guacamole out of anything. Nothing matters anymore. <laughs> we're like hours away from nuclear Armageddon. But like. Here's the thing. I think British people get especially mad about this stuff because a lot of your foods, the names of them are just the things you put in the food. Yes. Like beans on toast or like 
a breakfast fry up, which is fried. You do it in a frying pan. That's the whole no one deal. Has ever, no one has ever called it a, a breakfast fry up. It's a fry up, a fried breakfast, or a full English. It's never been called a breakfast fry up. See, this is what I'm talking about. You people just like you're right. you're, you're getting out I of know, control, angry about this stuff. The thing is, I know the like lizard hindbrain that gets annoyed about this stuff, and I know why it happens, and I know all the logic behind it, and I still get annoyed by it, which is it's. BBC did a thing the other day, which was Hawaiian spaghetti, which is uh, oh yeah carbonara but with pineapple in. Yeah. Okay. So what's the deal with that? I feel like that this is the last thing I need to ask about this because I feel like the New York Times when they when they piss everybody off with their food recipes, it's because they're doing something like slightly askew for no reason other than like clearly like a traffic player because they're bored of their own recipes. With the BBC though, it feels like uh, like like a like a neural net is like putting food together in random order. Like it's yeah, bizarre. The BBC has like twenty thousand recipes, and after a certain point in time, there are other, there's no other ways you can put food together. Like you can't you can't come up with a new way to be like, oh yeah, this is how you do roast potatoes. They've got like fifty roast potato recipes. They've done every option, so they have to just get a bit more bit more complicated. That's I think that's a really great metaphor for British culture. You guys have just done everything, and you've run out of things to do normally. So now you just do weird stuff for no reason. Yeah, I mean this podcast is what like six eight months from that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to talk about Elon Musk now. I want to talk about Elon Musk and I want to talk about Twitter and I want to be very clear up front that nothing has happened of any consequence. Even though everyone's freaking out about this, this is like my my hill to die on. I am so mad that we are once again talking about Elon Musk, even though nothing has actually happened in this story, really. Yeah. So, Luke, can you sketch out for our audience kind of where we are in the ongoing drama of Elon Musk versus Twitter? All right. So, Elon Musk and Twitter are in the middle of a court case because Elon Musk offered to buy Twitter and then refused to be bought, while Twitter, who initially refused to be bought, now want to be bought. And each of them is trying to force the other one to do the thing they initially didn't want to do, but now it's now want the other one to do. It's a mess. And as of yesterday, Elon Musk has put forward an offer to pay his original asking price. Fifty-four twenty. <laughs> LOL. So funny. Lay epic troll. If they adjourn the case. So essentially what he's saying is like if they if they turn off the lawsuit. He'll 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 go back and do what he said he was going to do. Yeah. Thus removing all of his leverage. It's a totally absurd idea. And as of Wednesday afternoon, the court has responded by saying the the lawsuit will continue. Which as... I will I will say I don't quite understand how that works. And as much as I've read it, I don't I still don't get it because they are suing Elon Musk in order to make him buy Twitter, and he's offered to buy Twitter if they stop suing him. So they, they it does seem like they are just locked in a like a death spiral for no reason. So I think the assumption is that he's he has no legal standing not to buy Twitter. Like he has to buy Twitter. So Twitter's going to hammer him with a lawsuit to get even more money on top of what he has to pay to buy it from them. My my understanding is that the lawsuit is about breach of contract, right? Cuz he like they signed a deal for him to buy it and then he breached the contract by saying he wasn't going to buy it. So they're suing him right. about the breach and just then saying, "Okay, just kidding." You can't unbreach a contract, basically. Like even if he min makes an offer in the original way, the sin of breaching the contract sure. isn't fixed. It's not like you, you you can't unpunch someone in the face. And why would you adjourn? Like he's still gonna have to buy it, and now they can just they can get a bunch of money from him breaching the contract. 
You know, this is why none of us are lawyers, because this seems mad. But we're two guys with a podcast, which is basically a lawyer in 2022. That's true. That's true. That is, that is how this works. Here's the interesting part of it. When they did discovery for this lawsuit, a bunch of Elon Musk's extremely embarrassing text messages went public and they've caught him. This is a, this is a weird one. He uses signal, which has disappearing messages. So he now might get hammered by the court for essentially deleting messages pertaining to the case, which is, which is also kind of interesting. Yeah. So how would you sort of describe like the kind of messages that Elon Musk was having with other rich guys? I mean, to be honest, my, my, Favorite set of messages actually aren't with rich guys. It's with his IT manager. Wait, so t- I haven't seen these. Tell me about these. Okay, so these are the ones with Alex Stillings, who I looked up. And my favorite thing about this is that 10 years ago, he was working at like an Apple Genius Bar, which is <laughs> like great. And then he worked, you know, he was an IT manager at Twitter and now he's, he's been at SpaceX for years. So like he's very experienced, but it's just quite funny. Like that is the way that happens. But basically it's a, a page and a half of, over the course of almost three days, Elon Musk not being able to get into his own Twitter account and not knowing how to get into his Twitter account and not apparently not really knowing how two-factor authentication works. Elon Musk is in a call with like SpaceX and he's like, oh, I can just stop having that call to sign back on to talk to Twitter to resolve his two-factor authentication problem. And he's madness. The man is the richest man in the world and he can't figure out how to get to make Twitter work <laughs> on his phone properly. I mean, to be honest, two-factor authentication is not the smoothest thing. You know, I want to give him a little credit there. I don't like it either. It's not that complicated. I much prefer the thing where you have to open the the Gmail app and hit yes. I mean, we're going to get to this in a little bit about the very loud proclamations he makes in this about his technical savvy, which are not backed up by his all the rest of his messages. No. So I do want to touch on one thing before we we, we leave this, though, which is you, you brought up the fact that he, like, gets off a call with SpaceX to, like deal with Twitter customer support, which is fantastic and amazing. And I also think like such a fantastic example of like what this is. This is a man who's like clearly having a midlife crisis, if not several at once. Yeah. And has become very obsessed with an app that makes him feel cool. And he's he's literally like sabotaging every other aspect of his like his business career, his like reputation because he's obsessed with this app. And, and it's not even clear to me that he understands like why he's obsessed with it. He wants to own it. He doesn't want to own it. He wants it to be, you know, the everything app that he can use to like surveil all of our purchases. But he also doesn't want the responsibility of fixing it. And he, he knows how he's going to fix it, but he doesn't know if any of it, anything's going to work. It looks like a man who's having like a serious, like a serious crisis, which I think is funny. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's a serious crisis, but it's also that he is I think confused because it, what really comes across in this is that he's clearly not stupid. He's not like a, a very like dumb man. He's a smart man over relies on en- other engineers and his engineering. What he says about his own engineering is definitely overblown, but like part of what being a good like tech founder is, is vision, not actual like coding like chops. But when he's talking to these people, I think the most, the two most interesting people in these texts are Jack Dorsey and Parag Agwal. Yes. Jack Dorsey, because he talks exactly like you'd expect him to talk. He is very, very deliberate. And he's not wasting any words. He's not putting any kind of anything there that doesn't need to be there. And he is being very, very clear on what he means and not over speaking. Like, he sounds like a man who has simultaneously had an awful lot of meetings with lawyers and an awful lot of 
weed basically <laughs> he's like somewhere between the two of them he's taken an awful lot of uh, air user in the desert and then also yeah had a lot of lawyers and then paragagwell is, is kind of different in that he's very very corporate uh like he's very he's saying all the correct things at the right times he's being really balanced about it he's responding to things that that he says and like kind of calling elon musk out at times where he's saying like hey it's really good to meet you and i'm really into this project however when you say things like this it does not make the job of what you want to do easier okay wait which is like a very correct professional way to say that let's let's uh let's read some of these so i let, do you want to be jack dorsey or do you want to be elon musk uh i got the beer for jack dorsey yeah you're definitely jack dorsey okay are you going to do a south african accent South Africa, would you like your coffee black or what? That's all I can say in a South African accent. I have no idea why. But if I was a South African like barista at a Starbucks, I would kill it. Yeah, so you you go first. So this is Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk. On, where, am I, where am I reading from? Uh, March 26, 2022. Yeah, okay. So, yes, a new platform is needed. It can't be a company. This is why I left. Okay, what should it look like? <laughs> I believe it must be an open source protocol funded by a foundation of sorts that doesn't own the protocol, only advances it. A bit like what Signal has done. It can't have an advertising model. Otherwise, you have surface area that governments and advertisers will try to influence and control. If it has a centralized entity behind it, it will be attacked. This isn't complicated work. It just has to be done right so it's resilient to what has happened to Twitter. Super interesting idea. <laughs> I'm off the Twitter board mid-May and they're completely out of company. I intend to do this work and fix our mistakes. Twitter started as a protocol. It should never have been a company. That was the original sin. I'd like to help if I'm able to. <laughs> I wanted to talk with you about it after I was all clear because you care so much. That is important and could definitely help in immeasurable ways. But back when we had the activists come in, I tried my hardest to get you on our board and our board said no. That's about the time I decided I needed to leave, as hard as it was for me. Hits the loved uh, reaction emoji. Do you have a moment to talk? About to head out to dinner, but can for a minute. I think the main reason is the board is just super risk averse and saw adding you as more risk, which I thought was completely stupid and backwards. But I only had one vote and 3% of the company and no dual class shares. Hard setup. We can discuss more. Let's definitely discuss more. I think it's worth both trying to move Twitter in a better direction and doing something new that's decentralized. See, oh God, this is the whole, all of these things. Jack Dorsey clearly has a really clear vision and like a deep understanding of not just the problems with Twitter, that, uh, you know, I, I broadly think that he is trying to do the things that make it work and like a really coherent version of this in his head, even if he is a little bit kind of, he's pretty extreme, like just in his, in his overall approach to things. But at the same time, he is like clearly following a path and a logic. And Elon Musk is just like, yeah, this seems like a thing. He's, he's not really processing. He's not, maybe that's the Elon Musk thing is that he's just not a deep thinker. I don't think he is. I mean, so I will say, you know, from what I've heard about Jack Dorsey from reporters I know who've dealt with him is that he is very earnest. He is very intelligent, but I do have to kind of pump the brakes on like congratulating him for realizing decades into owning Twitter that Mastodon is how it should have been. Cause that's all he's talking. He's, he's, he's basically saying like, I wish I could go back in time and make Twitter a, a protocol like email that anyone could use through a client and that is just Mastodon. Mastodon does that. Also, with the decentralization stuff, I'm sure most people now have heard about the the, the really viral, very good article from Charlie Warzel in The Atlantic, which has a whole bunch of great details about these text messages. And there's a whole back and forth in one of these messages where Kimball Musk, uh, which is his brother, Elon's brother, 
suggests that they, they're talking about how they want to have a blockchain based payment and message system is what Charlie calls it. And basically the way this would work is like you would micro pay Dogecoin to be able to post. And apparently finally, after a bunch of back and forth, Elon Musk just texts blockchain Twitter is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's so clear to me that like he doesn't understand Twitter really. He doesn't understand like why a human being would use the internet because he's he's like imagining that someone would convert cash into dogecoin and then pay that to tweet i would i would prefer to be paid not to tweet like i would i would receive money to not tweet and i think most people would the idea of like paying digital currency to fire off a tweet is fucking insane and then i also just think that like he liked the idea of a blockchain Twitter, but has no idea how that would work in practice. I mean, yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. Like, I always go back to the absolutely insane reporting about his uh, Hyperloop plan that was just existed in order to fuck up high-speed rail in California. And instead of having high-speed rail, he was like, we're going to do Hyperloop. And they were like, all right, we'll do that instead. We won't have high-speed rail. And then like a few years later, he was like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a real thing. I just hate rail like he just hates public transport with such a passion that he refuses to like he's the electric car thing is because he hates public transport it's nothing to do with like renewables he just hates public transport which is the and it's it's very much feels like that where his whims are what are driving it because he's not a deep thing he doesn't think about like what the world needs what everything needs he's just like i feel like i could do this i agree with you i don't i i think that there is a way to view almost his entire career as like it's about control like he doesn't want green energy from like a government or like a municipality. He doesn't want these future technologies to be, you know, given out by a, a country. He wants to be at the top of this. He wants to be a, he wants to be a warlord. Like he's always wanted to have like debt slaves on the moon or whatever. And like yeah. Twitter to him must be maddening because he he's popular enough on it that he understands its power and its impact but he doesn't have any control over it. And he also understands that like it's free, L like, like anyone could go use it. So that also must be driving him crazy. I, I think a lot of his fixation on bots is one, like his own misunderstanding of like how insane his followers are. And we're going to get to the way they operate in a second. Cause I have some interesting data on that, but I think he's also obsessed with bots because he just assumes any normal people are bots. I, I don't I don't think he he understands what Twitter looks like to to a normal person. I mean, the bot thing is really interesting because one thing that we never properly dealt with is how bots became a catch-all for people whom a user views as NPCs, basically. Exactly. That's bots, exactly what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. They think of them as yeah NPCs, which are non-player characters. So in a video game, they would be automated and there would be a character that you go and talk to and who says, yes, my liege, I hear that there is a a, a, mish, a a quest in the next town. And you go back to them a minute later and they say, yes, my liege, I hear there's a quest in the next town. And they say the same thing over again because they're not, they're not real. And bots should be automated things that tweet whatever. Like that is actually a bot. But a lot of people view it as kind of, oh, these people are bots because what I see from them is behavior that I don't understand and doesn't seem to be on any logic that I get. And this is this is not just an Elon Musk thing. This is a widely held thing that people are like, oh, the bots are here. And it's like, they're not bots. And they know they're real people. They just describe them as bots because they don't view them as people, which I think is a really, 
it's pretty dark, but it's pretty interesting. But when you talk to real people about it, that's what they think bots are. Bots are just NPCs, even if those there are people behind those NPCs. What I find interesting is like in a lot of countries in the global south, but also like there's a twist on this in in Asia as well, where like so for instance in the global south, the word bot is oftentimes like in local internet slang, like used just as like a catch-all for like any annoying user on the internet, whether they're human or not. Yeah. And I also think that like I it used to rankle me this the the use of the term netizen when talking about Asian social networks because I was like, why are we doing this? This is so dumb. Like they're just internet users like everybody else. But I do think like the distinction in certain countries of like just like anyone on the internet is either a bot or they're not, and I don't care, but they're like somehow different to me is a useful way of sort of thinking about this sometimes because like especially now that we're in many places completely overrun by humans that act like automated accounts, automated accounts that act like humans and like that weird in between where you have like one K-pop kid who has like 19 sock puppet accounts. Yeah. Like the line is so blurred. And especially when you're at a level like Elon Musk, where you, you have so many followers, like there's no way to tell who, like what you're talking to or who or why. Like, it's just, it's just bots. That's, and I, I get that, I suppose. But I think it does reveal some of his like deep insecurities about a common person being able to talk to him. Yeah, he doesn't understand and just can't communicate with those those people properly. And yeah, I think it really comes across when you when you skim through and actually look for the conversations where he talks about bots and like how to get rid of them. Jason, Jason, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Cala- Jason Calacanis. <laughs> yeah, Jason Calacanis. Yeah, he pops up quite a lot, and he's kind of he's kind of a a, a guy who hangs around Silicon Valley, and it's not hundred percent sure what he did, but he's invested in a few things that have done okay. And so he's made a bunch of money and now just sort of saunters around as basically as an angel investor, basically. Which, you know, sure. But he he's like, Yeah, you are you're in a unique position to broker better AI to detect bots the second they pop up, which doesn't make any sense because it's not like there's no point in detecting a bot when it is created. Like, like I, I don't know what you're detecting there. You're not you're not stopping anything. You're you're detect bots when they tweet, which is a different thing. And it's and he's like, yeah, no, I agree. Here's the full text. I got it right here. So Jason Calacanis texts Elon Musk in April 2022, and he writes, you could easily clean up bots and spam and make the service more viable for many more users. Removing bots and spam is a lot less complicated than what the Tesla self-driving team is doing based on hearing the last edge case meeting. And why should blue check marks be limited to the elite press and celebrities? How is that democratic? The kingdom would like a word, which... I, is a, I believe a reference to like Saudi Arabia. Then he he does like a bunch of like revenue gar- mumbo jumbo. And then Elon Musk sends back a bunch of revenue mumbo jumbo. And then Jason Calacanis says, day zero, sharpen your blades, boys. Two day a week office requirement, 20% voluntary departures, which is wild to me. I think it's so telling that like in the middle of just ranting and raving about how to like magically fix Twitter, they're like, yep. And the employees got to come back to the office. Like, it's just like so obvious that like that this is just, this is nonsense. This is like, so like I, up until I read these texts thought business guys talked like that to hide more cynical analytical ways of thinking about the world. Like they use sharpen your blades boys for instance or whatever as like a shield to be evil because like that's what movies tell us is like right it's like, it's like a little bit ironic to yeah like the like the mo- movies say that like office speak like hr speak whatever 
is so that they can do ulterior stuff. But now that we're seeing the behind the scenes communication, you're just like, oh no, like this is just the way you guys talk and think. Yeah, no, it's exactly that. And it, I just the thing that comes out from all of this, Elon Musk has absolutely no idea what he's really trying to do here. Like he, he there's no bit where he is like, hey, here's my idea. He just has a vision of a Twitter where his mentions are less annoying, and he is spending. Uh, how much is he buying it for in the end? Thirty something billion. A lot of money. Yeah, he's spending thirty <laughs> billion essentially because he yeah. doesn't want to employ someone to just like mute people. Right. Like if, if that if that was if he had just like official muter who just muted annoying people for him, it would change his experience of Twitter entirely. But no, instead he's spending literally billions to do that. So that is a fantastic transition to the next part of what we're going to talk about this week, which is uh, some incredible data research that was put together by Erin Gallagher. She's a disinformation researcher, works at the Shorenstein Center. I talk to her all the time. She's great. And her, her specialty is like very beautiful maps of Twitter activity. And some of her findings were really fascinating. She used the discovery docs to create like maps of people texting with Elon Musk and how they connect with each other. So in this one, I'll do my best to sort of describe it, but it's a it's a map of people who exchange 10 or more text messages with Elon Musk. You see Elon Musk in the center of this giant map, and then you have like names like, you know, Kimball Musk, Jack Dorsey, all sort of like connecting with each other through Musk, but not with each other. Like they don't, they don't communicate. So I, I think that like takes us to sort of like the looking forward part of this, right? So like I was watching Fox Business this morning, as I do sometimes, and I was surprised at how negative they were towards Elon Musk today. Uh, there's like a grumpy British guy that uh, hosts in the mornings. He's awful. Uh, and he usually is like very in line with like the talking points of the conservative media for the rest of the day. But this morning, he seemed to like genuinely be very contemptuous of Elon Musk and they had this one woman who was like ranting and raving about how Twitter is like a constitutional right, which is like very Fox News. But they had a bunch of analysts come on and just basically because the thing about Fox Business is like it's obviously part of the whole point of view. But there are some people on there who like are business reporters that are like fairly OK. And a lot of those were just like, yeah, this is a bad this is bad. This is bad for like our team, which I thought was an interesting amount of self-reflection. Yeah, I think it's very hard to put a kind of button on because it's not really clear what his goals are and his goals are also really inconsistent with an awful lot of people like his thing is like yeah green cars and electric cars which is very kind of anti-fox but at the same time he is maintaining the private car which is very fox he is trying to buy twitter to make it a free speech bastion which is very fox but at the same time he seems to kind of hate its users which is not very fox and there's this kind of like this dichotomy where he doesn't fit into a box and it's partly because he doesn't like he doesn't have an underlying ideology he gets annoyed about things and then kind of just sits with them for a while he's 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 very similar to like a medieval king like there's no real underlying ideology he ultimately just wants as much control as possible and this is part of that and i want to be really clear nothing has happened things could happen but as of right now as they stand he is still being sued by Twitter, and he will probably likely lose. The The New York Times wrote a piece where they did like predictions about this, and they were like, trust and safety will go out the window at Twitter. Oh, wow, that's crazy. I can't imagine what that would be like at Twitter. Like zero content moderation. That's wild. And I think that like that's even giving Elon Musk too much credit. Like I think there's this real knee-jerk need to imagine this Trumpian figure with him. 
but I don't get that sense. Like I let's say tomorrow it all gets sorted out and he's the new owner as of the the market opening tomorrow morning. I just imagine like the site would just break down and there'd be like a lot of people quitting and like the technology would just get worse. I think I think the most Trumpy thing about him is he has a lot of whims to do this, to do that, to do this, that and the other and not really like kind of stick with something for very long. That that feels like to me the the the, the main thing that is is the kind of link between the two of them. Okay, I mean I, I want to talk about this specific bit about the the Parag Agrawal stuff, which I think is really, really important. So Parag Agrawal is the current CEO of Twitter. He was installed yeah. kind of after Jack Dorsey and has pretty much only dealt with this bullshit since he started. Yeah, exactly. So there's a bit where, hang on, if you, maybe you can find it and we can read this bit. Okay, I got it. I, hold on. I got it. Okay. Page 97, I'm there. Okay. So starting with Parag, I want to hear all the ideas and I'll tell you which ones to make progress on versus not and why. And in this phase, just good to spend as much time with you and have my product engineering team talk to you to ingest information on both sides. I would like to understand the technical details of the Twitter code base. This will help me calibrate the dumbness of my suggestions. I wrote heavy-duty software for 20 years. I used to be a CTO and have been our code base for a long time, so I can answer many, many of your questions. I interface way better with engineers who are able to do hardcore programming than with program manager slash MBA types of people. Such a prick. In our next convo, treat me like an engineer instead of a CEO, and let's see where we get to. I'll know after that convo who might be the best engineer to connect you to. So this bit is very like sensible. This is the right thing for him to be doing. He's like figuring out how do I communicate with you in a very useful way. And then if we scroll down to the next page, Parag sends this like quite serious but quite interesting message where he says, you are free to tweet, quote, is Twitter dying or anything else about Twitter? But it's my responsibility to tell you that it's not helping me make Twitter better in the current context. Next time we speak, I'd like to provide you with perspective on the level of internal distraction right now and how it's hurting our ability to do work. I hope the AMA will help people to get to know you, to understand why you believe in Twitter and to trust you. And I'd like the company to get to a place where we are more resilient and don't get distracted. We aren't there right now. And then the next three things from Elon, I think are incredibly important. Elon texts, what did you get done this week? I'm not joining the board. This is a waste of time. We'll make an offer to take Twitter private. So essentially, I think this is kind of the nexus of the whole thing, which is that Parag is trying to say, look, we're trying to do a job here. We're trying to make something work and you are causing so many problems. And he just freaks out and says, fuck this. I'm not talking to you anymore. Yeah. And that's like a day after those previous messages. It's madness. I think it's literally like he got minor pushback from someone who like, very quickly was able to show that like he's on the same level as Elon Musk, if not on a higher level than Elon Musk when it comes to like understanding what they're talking about. And Elon Musk was like, fuck it. I'm going to like be wrapped up in lawsuits for the next several years of my life because I don't want to deal with this. And also we, we should point we should point out that in the middle of these conversations, Kimball Musk is sending him literally the dumbest, most insane ideas for adding blockchain to Twitter that's imaginable. It's like Perig being like, please, like, let's figure this out. And Kimmel must be like, we could like put together like a, a blockchain of Dogecoins to make it like tweetable. Like, But this is a really important moment because at this point is one of the key bits that Elon Musk has done that's got him in trouble, which is while being in talks to join the Twitter board, he is planning a second social network, which is illegal on a bunch of different fronts so it's it's yeah it's really interesting it, it speaks to i think so much of what drives him and what drives his purchase of twitter which is that he assumes he must be able to do it better and is not he's, he's not that guy no 
Can I just take a step back here from all of this, which is like, why are either of these very, very rich, very powerful, presumably very well-lawyered gentlemen talking about any of this via fucking text message? Like, the three people on this call have done enough journalism and, like, talked to enough lawyers in enough newsrooms to know that, like, either do any of this on a vanishing message platform or just don't do any of it in writing ever, 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 ever. So, so as we said, he M- Musk is in trouble for for his disappearing signal messages, which is the, the 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 encrypted messenger of choice. But I also think that like you know these guys aren't boomers, but like they're like a, they're like older people, and like older people use the phone badly. <laughs> like I could absolutely see like a middle aged man texting another middle aged man. I've dug deep on Web three, and it's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's an absurd thing to just text your brother out of the blue. But like, that's what's happening in these texts that we're reading right now uh, as your brother's like committing a crime, essentially. <laughs> also, I mean, Pareg in these is speaking very carefully and very cautiously and feels like he, if if not has had it lawyered, has certainly worked with enough lawyers that he knows what he can and can't say. And Elon Musk is just saying just mad shit. Yeah. No, I mean, he's 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 having a temper tantrum while he's literally getting bombarded with messages like blockchain prevents people from deleting tweets, pros and cons, but let the games begin and would have them pay with a token associated with the service. You'd have to hold the token in your wallet to post doesn't have to expensive. It will grow over time in value. Like that's nonsense. (laughs) That's complete nonsense. It's all nonsense. It's all absolute nonsense. I think the biggest thing is that and we talked about this in one of our first episodes about Elon Musk, but like since 2016, he's been really cultivating this idea of like the I fucking love science, but real guy. I'm going to make a flamethrower. I'm going to dig a hole in Las Vegas and you can drive in it. I'm going to send you to the moon. I'm Wario on SNL. Like he's like that guy. And it's been, it's been shaky because he's not cool and he's, he's very lame. But I think that these text messages have like really hardcore popped a bubble there. Yeah, they have. I mean, they haven't for his fans because that's not how like being a stan of someone works, but it should, it should pop a bubble. Also, one final thing from these messages. At one point in it, he discusses the main problem with Twitter being that uh, he needs Mr. Beast to create for it because the next two generations, millennials and Gen Z are meh on Twitter in his words. I mean, yeah, and this isn't going to (laughs) help. No. (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, everyone wants a Mr. Beast for their website. Like, that's like, that's literally like the art, that's the actual arms race that's happening on the internet right now. Yeah. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's, 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 let's make a little wager. Not, I don't want to bet. I don't care about betting. But like, do you think, do you think this is going to happen? Like, stake, stake a, stake a claim here. Do you think this will happen? Uh, it's, It's tricky. I mean, I think that it, he will end up owning it. Like, I, I used to think that, that wouldn't happen, but I now I'm at a point where I think that the amount that he would have to pay in the lawsuit or do a settlement that allows that means he owns it effectively and pays the original amount, he will do the settlement and pay the original amount. Because I think you're now talking him paying potentially billions of dollars in fines, and at some point he will just be like, well, I might as well buy the fucking company then. I think regardless of what happens with the lawsuit, he ends up with it. I think he doesn't do anything interesting with it. No, definitely not. And I think it just sort of just runs into ruin. I actually kind of see Twitter going the direction of like dig 
maybe like a site that just sort of falls apart over time and then eventually gets sold off for parts like years down the line yeah i, I mean i could see that i just the problem i mean the problem with twitter is and always has been that it has absolutely astonishing value as a the wanky way of saying it but the the public town square and it does have astonishing value as that the fact is, is that everyone who creates writes and consumes the news is on twitter and the problem is that it's almost impossible to monetize so it's got this incredibly powerful network effect that is both simultaneously theoretically very valuable and in practice very has no value and no one's been able to figure out how to make that work yeah and i i hope they never do as someone who hates the website and wants it to go away entirely, I, I love all of this. As a complete Twitter anarchist, it, it makes me very happy that it just it's the poison it's the poison apple, and uh, I hope Jeff Bezos buys it next. I think every billionaire should take a turn ruining their lives and reputations and careers trying to make Twitter into a, a successful business. That's what I hope. In the future, every billionaire will own Twitter for 15 minutes. <laughs> hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? Yeah, House of the Dragon, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how to feel about this show anymore. But we can talk about it. Try and bring you back on board again. I don't, I don't know if you can. I really don't. But I do want to briefly spend some time and talk about Reservation Dogs, which is one of the best TV shows I have ever seen in my entire life. But before we get to that, which will be at our bonus episode, which you can find at thecontentminds.com, you can subscribe, get bonus content, support the show. It makes you very cool. You get a discount for Garbage Day if you want to subscribe to Garbage Day and vice versa. They, you get discounts for both. Anyways, uh, also, please uh, vote for us for the lovies. If if the voting has not ended by the time you hear this episode, it ends on Thursday night this week. Please vote for us so that Luke and I can wear suits together and drink free wine, <laughs> uh, which would be very fun. And before we leave, I'm very excited to say that we will be doing another Bad Posters Club, uh, the live event that Luke and I do, uh, I guess yearly now. This is our yearly thing now. It's at 2 Northdown in King's Cross in London on November 10th. We have some very, very exciting guests to announce with uh, possibly some more names to announce on the way. We will be joined by Chris Stokel Walker, my personal journalism hero. I'm an absolute massive fan of his tech coverage. Uh, we're once again joined by Saima Ferdos, who was at our show last year. She absolutely killed it. I'm very excited for what she'll be doing this year. Uh, Charlotte Colombo, a freelance writer and editor of The Daily Dot, and Hannah Flint, the author of Strong Female Character. She's a fantastic critic, super funny, and as I said, we might have some more names to announce very shortly. So you can get tickets in the show bio uh, of this week's episode. Thank you once again to our producer, Alan, for creating the lovely soundscapes that are currently hitting your ear holes. Alan, say hello. Say goodbye. Hello and goodbye. Uh, Alan, did you consume any content to stay sane this week? Yeah. The most refreshing breath of network sitcom that is Abbott Elementary by BuzzFeed alum Quinta Brunson is just truly, truly nourishment for the soul, even if it is just basically like a redo on the workplace comedy of The Office set in a Philly elementary school. I still find it delightful. I mean, I think that all sitcoms should be set in Boston or Philadelphia, personally. So I'm, I'm supportive of that. Yeah, so thank you guys for listening. Head over to our bonus episode if you want to hear us talk about that. And we will see you next week. <laughs>